The offseason is finally over, and the Knicks season has finally arrived. How are the Knickerbockers faring in the 2019-2020 campaign? We are joined by longtime New York Post-Knicks beat writer Mark Berman, who breaks down how the Knicks look heading into opening night in San Antonio. I'll also chat with the man who is always styling and profiling, the greatest Nick ever for my money, the legendary Walt Claude Frazier, next on the New York Post debut episode of Big Apple Buckets. Here they are, the New York Knicks! And now, here's your starting Yeah, welcome to Big Apple Buckets, a New York Post, New York Knicks podcast. I'm your host, Kazim Famiwide. You can call me Kaz, because that's what everybody else calls me. It's a lot of letters. I get it. We'll be coming at you once every week, breaking down the New York Knicks. The post-New York Knicks beat writer, Mark Berman, and our team of NBA writers will join us each and every week. And we'll also have former and current players, along with celebrity Knicks fans along the way, as we bring you the best New York Knicks content out there. But before all that, Indulge me. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram at Kazim, K-A-Z-E-E-M. That's the same name on both social media handles. But first, let's get this party started, man. The New York Knicks are getting ready to kick off their season against the San Antonio Spurs. But, uh, you know, let's talk about that summer, man. It, it was what it was. The New York Knicks went to the summertime with a lot of hopes, a lot of dreams, a lot of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving hopefulness going into the offseason. And obviously... That didn't turn out the way it was. But, well, the Knicks got who they got. They got a lot of really good, talented players, and they have a lot of depth. But that always could be a double-edged sword. You know, you got a lot of power forwards, a lot of shooting guards, a lot of point guards, a lot of guys fighting for playing time right now. And if it's up to me, I think this season is all based on what David Fisdale does. This is the coaching season where he absolutely earns his money. I feel like there's so many players right now outside of R.J. Barrett and, J- and Julius Randle, who seems to be the only lock at the starting position, and maybe Mitchell Robinson, uh, granted that he rolled his ankle the other day in practice. We really don't know who's going to be rolling out in that starting position. So David Fisdale, if he wants to make that money, if he wants to be that guy that leads the Knicks to the promised land, he's got to be the one to steer this ship. He's got to be the one to make the New York Knicks look like a competent NBA franchise for what seems like the first time in two decades. But that without being said, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to discuss. There's a lot to talk about. We got the point guard battle between Dennis Smith Jr., Frank Nilekina, and Alfred Payton. We got R.J. Barrett, the prize rookie out of Duke University. We got Julius Randle, the big money free agent. Is he going to be a guy who makes his first all-star team this year? We don't know, but that's why you're tuning into this show. We're going to have everybody from the Knicks insiders, outsiders, celebrity fans, all that good stuff. Make sure you tune in to Big Apple Buckets with your boy. All right, man, but that's enough about me. Let's talk. Let's get somebody on the ground. Let's get somebody who's in that locker room, in the field, the legendary New York Knicks beat writer, the guy who's been writing about the Knicks since before R.J. Barrett was even born, my man, <laughs> Mark Berman. You can follow him on Twitter at NYPost underscore Berman. Mark, what's going on, Chief? Welcome to Big Apple Buckets. Oh, uh, hey, Cass. How are you? That's a scary thought. I never... Realize that, but, yeah, <laughs> he's 19 years old. Listen, I didn't uh, want to age you right off years. the jump, 
yeah. <laughs> I don't want to age you off the jump, but I mean, I just had to let people know, let people know that you're in there. You've done this a lot of times. So, you know, it's all good. And, and it's a real honor to have you on this first episode of the podcast. So, but as far as the point guard battle of the preseason, which it doesn't seem like anybody's really made any headway, what does the options of picking up Frank Needlekin and Dennis Smith Jr. done to solidify who's going to be the starting point guard this season? Yeah, well, we still don't know the starting point guard, but uh, we figured that Dennis Smith Jr., his option would be picked up. Uh, he's the key piece to the Przingis trade. It would look really bad public relations-wise if they decided not to pick up his fourth year. Nilakina was a, a question mark going into training camp. He played well enough uh, during preseason, showed a little bit more of an offensive flair, but didn't shoot the ball very well. His defense, though, was spectacular. And the Knicks decided, even if, you know, down the road they trade him, uh, they wanted to have the safety net of him not being an unrestricted free agent next year. They picked up the option $6.3 million, and he could still be traded. A team could still want uh, Frank and his defense. Now, you said he, he still could be traded, but uh, in, the, in, the, in the interview that you wrote, well, in the story that you wrote in the post, he said that getting his option picked up kind of clears up any confusion and kind of lets him focus on the game. Uh, do you still think that's going to be that black cloud of possibly being moved during the middle of the season? Do you think that's going to bother Frank or any of these players going forward? Uh, I think the trade rumors will lessen. Uh, if he doesn't play well, of course, things may heat up again. But yeah, I mean, since last season, we've been writing about Frank being on the trade block. They tried to deal him on draft night. He had a wonderful stint in China at the World Cup, uh, leading France to the bronze medal. That should increase his trade value, and it impressed uh, Nick's breath. So now Fisdale has to figure out between Smith, Milikina, and their new signee, Alfred Payton, who is going to be the starter. Uh, again, if even if Alfred starts, that doesn't mean he's going to get the most minutes. So it's not a huge deal, but uh, definitely uh, it is a big thing for confidence-wise, the guy who will start out the season. Now, uh, we talked about the point guard battle. That's probably the biggest uh, story coming out of preseason. I guess the second biggest story out of there has been the player R.J. Barrett, man. He's been, uh, you know, he's... He really showed what he can do against the New Orleans Pelicans last weekend. And uh, he's starting to look like the player that a lot of people pegged him coming out of Duke, especially out of uh, especially after this past summer where people kind of freaked out over a couple of games. What are some of the things that you've seen in the uh, scrimmages and in the locker room with RJ, especially since these games have starting to show that he can get to the hoop whenever he wants to. He's been a good playmaker, and his shot is starting to fall. Yeah, well, I mean, I, too, was concerned in Las Vegas, uh, you know, talking to scouts who wondered, is he going to be able to get to the basket like he did at Duke? You know, this is a whole new level, and he doesn't have much of an outside shot, so he's going to have to get his points by getting to the basket. And in Las Vegas, it was a little bit uh, unclear. And since preseason started, he's been terrific. Fisdale doesn't even want to take him off the floor. He averaged about 38 minutes a night. He looked great getting into the hole with his power, strength, and craftiness. 
he's still not shooting the ball well from the outside, but he does so many other things, you know, rebounds well for a guard, and he makes the right pass. He really didn't turn the ball over. And he seems to be well-liked by his teammates. I mean, he's 19 years old. He's not going to be the leader. Uh, so it was really the highlight of preseason. There weren't a whole lot of highlights in preseason when the team went one and three. So, you know, now that Zion Williamson is hurt and you don't know how durable he'll be his rookie year, I could see RJ competing with uh, Roy. I agree 1,000%, man. He's looked like, you know, in the preseason, a rookie of the year candidate or at least somebody who's going to be in that mix for the foreseeable future. Um, in the beginning, we also mentioned that Kevin Knox's option was picked up this week. And, uh, you know, he was the guy who was starting in the preseason. He was kind of pushed by Marcus Morris, who was probably the best all-around player this preseason. Um that led to rumors that some players might not be happy with some of their playing time going into the uh, NBA season. Uh, what, has, what has been some of the things that you've seen as far as, like, players not playing as much, not getting as much time as maybe was promised? Um, do you think that could cause any type of friction in that locker room? Is there anything that you've seen that could cause that? Oh, no doubt. I mean, that was the fear going into this preseason that there's, like, 15 guys who think they should be in the rotation. And, you know, I hear that, you know, Trier is not totally excited about uh, his role, but he finally got good minutes uh, in the final preseason game, but he took a DNP in one of the games and played only like six minutes in another. Uh, yeah, it's the issue that Trisdale will have to deal with. I don't think it's a concern right now. It's too early. But as the season goes on, there's going to be guys who are left out of the mix. And, Fisdale has to try to manage that. He said in preseason, I'm not trying to make any friends here, but you know, part of the job is to keep the camaraderie going even when guys are not playing. Now, you've said it a lot of times, Fisdale, Fisdale, Fisdale. He is at the center of this. He's almost the most valuable player on this team right now because it's going to be up to him to find time for people. It's going to be up to him to manage all these personalities. Is Coach Fisdale, with this brand-new team and his brand-new outlook on the Knicks, is he at all on a short leash right now? Is there, do you see any scenario where Knicks management could not like where they're going with Fisdale and try and go a different direction? Oh, no question. Uh, I feel the Knicks are stumbling again, uh, you know, toward another 20-win season or so, and you don't see the development in Knox and Mitchell Robinson and Dennis Smith and even RJ, I, I think he's done here. Uh, he's got one year left on his contract after this season. I mean, he'll probably finish the season, I would imagine. I don't know what the point would be to fire him in February. It could happen, but uh, I just don't see him coming back for his third year of his contract, if there's not significant development in these young players, and if they're, again, a 22-win team, they won 17 last year, it would be great. I think some fans would love to see them being in a playoff race. I still think it might be difficult. I don't know if they have that one star, but Fisdale is definitely on the hot seat. Usually you don't see a coach go into his final season as a lame duck, uh, either you give him another extension or he's done in New York.
what do you think the best case scenario for this Knicks team is this year? I mean, the over under right now is 26 and a half wins by Vegas. Do you think they get the over? Do you think that they get the under? What's the best case scenario as far as wins this year for this New York Knicks team? Wow, I didn't realize that it dropped uh, to 26 and a half. It, when we first reported it, uh, the first uh, line was at 28. So uh, it looks like the betters are uh, betting against the Knicks. And, you know, the GM poll was not very favorable to the Knicks. No one really picked them in the top eight for the playoffs. I think a good season, considering that the summer was kind of a dud, I think a good season would be, you know, 31 wins and the development of the young guys, RJ looking like a future star, Kevin Knox the same, Mitchell Robinson makes some progress, Uh, Dennis Smith inherits that starting point guard job and looks like he could you know, be the point guard of the future. I think if those things happen, that would be a success even at 31 victories. I mean, that's how low the bar has become here in New York. You know, six straight years out of the playoffs, and it looks like that drought is going to continue. Well, Mark Berman, uh, we'll be talking to you all season long on Big Apple Buckets, courtesy of the New York Post. It's great to have you here, and uh, we can't wait to start the season, man. Have a good day, and we'll catch up with you later, Chief. All right, Kat. Thanks so much. Uh, I had a great time. Yes, sir. Take it easy, man. Now, there's only one way we could have kicked off the first episode of Big Apple Buckets presented by the New York Post, man. Uh, He's a legend in this city. He's one of the greatest basketball players of all time, two-time NBA champion, the most stylish, swaggiest basketball player to ever run through New York City, and most importantly, the owner of Clyde Frazier's Wine and Dine on 10th Avenue, my man, the legend, Walt Clyde Frazier. How you doing, partner? Doing good. Thanks for the kudos. Oh yeah, man. You know I you know I always gotta throw Clyde's wine and dine every time, man. You know it. That's my favorite spot to eat at. All right, all right. What's your favorite meal there? Oh, I always get the flank steak. The flank steak is really good. You know what I mean? I'm a pasta guy myself, but the steak is, is always hitting every time I go there. Yeah, I like the salmon. The grilled salmon is my favorite at Clyde's. Yeah, keeping it light. That's why he's, that's why he's such, in still great shape right now, man. I'm in, I'm over here eating steaks, eating fillet of salmon and stuff. But I'm a, I'm gonna take your advice you, soon. You got time. You got time to shape it up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, Clyde, man, you're one of the few NBA legends with a signature shoe, right? Like especially with Puma, your long-standing relationship with them and the Clyde Hardwoods, and you're kind of yeah, taking man, long, your, long your culture before. and your time in the NBA and connecting to this new generation. So. With your long-standing relationship with Puma, how has that helped you connect to today's game and today's players? Well, when I see the guys that Puma have attracted, man, you know, I feel honored and proud that I'm the guy long before the Air Jordan. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <the> <laughs> so I'm still kicking it, and I see we just signed Kuzma. Got a couple of Nick players on there, RJ, man, and and Kevin Knox, so uh, I walked around with my head up that high, man, that I set a, a nice example for these guys, and they're continuing to carry on the legacy on the court and, and off the court of the clock. Yeah, man, I feel like I can't walk anywhere in the city without seeing a Clyde Hardwood uh, billboard, the I Love New York with R.J. Barrett, you know what I mean? Like It's like a whole new generation of players who may not even have seen you play, 
but like have probably saw your suits and hear you call NBA games, man. Like it's like you're 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 introduced to a whole new generation of player. How does that make you feel? You know, especially signing guys like RJ Barrett, Kevin Knox, Kyle Kuzma, a lot of these uh, really talented up and coming NBA players. Yeah, I feel magnificent, man, because today with social media, you see they can see Walt Frazier and look me up. Yeah. Five minutes, they can find out all about me. You know, wow, this guy did all of this, man. So uh, that's the beauty now of social media. You can find out about people, uh, the background, how they started out. So uh, I see a lot of myself in these young players. You know, I was trying to find my way. I was trying to be Oscar Robertson and Jerry West when I came into the league. But as you alluded to, I had some style. I was my father was a good dresser, so I, genetically I had that little gene. I was always trying to dress up and be different. Like back in the day, all everybody used to wear Converse. That was the only sneaker, man. But I used to jazz my Converse up with an orange shoelace and a blue shoelace, which were the Nick colors, mm-hmm. and that was the fat, you know, the fat. Shoelace, not the little thin one, the big fat one. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I used to style up my shoes before I got with Puma. You know, it's almost like you you set the trend, man. I feel like every NBA game I watch now, you got a camera watching these guys with their fits on and their outfits. And I'm like, yo, that's all they're doing is just is just doing what Clyde used to do 30, 40 years ago. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's kind of like you paved the way for this. I know, and everybody's seeing how they dressed and and all of that, man, yeah. So it's a nice feeling. I just sit back and smile, you know, knowing that I was the guy, one of the pioneers of style and cool and creativity and the designing and being different, uh, setting a style standard, you know, with my play, especially defense. Mm-hmm. One of the first guys to really steal the ball from a player off the dribble. Uh, clutch, coming up with big baskets down the stretch. Cool. Not showing a lot of emotion like I've been there before. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's just an evolution and a revolution of the shoe and the Clyde image that continues to, to, to continue to astound people, man. After all this time, I'm, I'm still around. I love it, man. And shout out to Puma. You know, uh, a few weeks ago, I sat in and moderated a talk with yourself, R.J. Barrett, Kevin Knox, kind of like a welcome to New York event with all three of you guys. And since that sit down, you know, we've, uh, you know, we've gotten some preseason games under our belt. You know what I'm saying? We've seen R.J. Barrett. We've seen Kevin Knox. Um, what's been your biggest takeaway first with R.J. Barrett, who seemed to, you know, really impress a lot of players around the league, especially in this last game when he went off in that first half? Yeah, man, he looked just like he did at Duke. Mm. You know, they talk about what he can't do, that he's too lefty, uh, shooting the suspect. I find with him when the game is on the line, he starts the game is I don't think he's focused. So he normally doesn't play well. But when the game is on the line, man, he starts making those threes, starts penetrating, creating, and getting inside to the hoop. You know, he's very focused, does some good things on the defense. So I've been very impressed with his style of play. He's cool on the court. Uh, Knox is right now in a transition. Last year he started a lot of games, especially down the stretch. But now because of the veteran players, he's coming off the bench. But uh, he's a lot stronger. His upper body, he's really uh, worked out diligently during the summer to get stronger. And he's an offensive threat, man. He's a guy that can come off the bench and put up points on the board. 
Yeah, you know, I seen, uh, you know, last year it kind of seems like Kevin Knox was our, our prized um, lottery pick last year. And this year he's kind of being pushed by Marcus Morris, who's a tough guy, who's probably been the, the outside of Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, the standout player in the preseason. How do you think that's going to help Kevin Knox's development going forward? Pressure is always good. Competition is always good. So you know he has to raise his level of play. He has to work on his weakness right now, which is the lack of defensive intensity, a little more rebounding. Uh, his forte is offense. You know, he has a three ball. He, he's good off the penetration dribble. So he just has to work on the other aspects of his game to increase his playing time. Completely agreed. He looks like he did get stronger. I mean, last time I did see him, looks like he put on a little weight. But, you know, a guy like Marcus Morris is always always going to push somebody for competition. Uh, switching gears a little bit, man, like, Clyde, you are the greatest New York Knicks point guard in history, so I feel compelled to ask you. I mean, we kind of got a point guard controversy right now. You got Dennis Smith Jr., who was a little bit hurt, but kind of starting to slowly come back. Frank Nielakina, who had a great uh, summer with the FIBA French team in the World Cup. And you got Alfred Payton, who's had some moments to shine and has been really uh, hard-nosed defensively and running the team. And as of right now, I don't even think we really know who the starting point guard is, but from somebody who sat on the court and sat on the on the on the on the baseline and seeing all three of these guys, who do you think has the upper hand to start uh, for point guard when opening day kicks off? Well, thus far, none of the guys have distinguished themselves. You know, Peyton had an opportunity because of Smith's injury. Nikina had an opportunity, so none of these guys have really taken advantage of that. So, I think the coach is in a quagmire right now. While who to start? You 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 mentioned Smith Jr. Perhaps unequivocally the most versatile of these guys. He has incredible leaping ability, versatility, quickness. Uh, you mentioned Peyton, who's the quintessential point guard. He can dish and switch. He defends. And Neil Kina also the size and defense. So you have a trio that's very talented. But right now they're struggling to find their way. So... Uh, I think, uh, as I alluded to, the coach doesn't really know which one of these guys might be the starter uh, in the game next week. You know, there's a lot of people out there saying, you know, with his playmaking ability, R.J. Barrett's going to see a lot of time at point guard. If it was up to you, who do you think would have that? Uh, who would have the the lead role right now as far as running that running that team? Uh, well, I like Peyton. I like you know guys that play defense and Neil Keener. But also you need a guy like Smith, a guy that can create and break down the defense. So uh, uh, you mentioned uh, R.J. The coach has mentioned about playing him at point guard sometimes. I would be reluctant to do that right now because I want him to focus on the shooting guard position. I don't want to put too much pressure on him. And if you've been following the team, he played a lot during the preseason. He was over 30 minutes a game. I'm sure he led the team in minutes played, R.J. did. but uh, I think later on, if he develops into the uh, master the nuances of the NBA, which normally takes a rookie 15 or 20 games to really get into the nuances, knowing how to get to the free throw line, the shot selection, the defense. So I think after that point, he might be a good transition to, to try to get him to do a little point guard uh, activity as well. But right now, I would try to keep it simple, just let him focus on the two guards. And hopefully one of those guys step up. Neil Aquino or Pate or Smith Jr., one of those guys can step up and orchestrate with the team. 
I agree 1,000%, man. Uh, the last time we spoke at the uh, at the Puma event, you said that even though the Knicks, you know, struck out on the big free agent summer of 2019, you liked Plan B. You liked that, you know, they brought in a lot of veteran leadership mixed with young talent to push that young talent to kind of get the diamonds out of the rough. So, um, But right now there's rumors out there saying that there's already a couple of players that are – not so happy about playing time and not seeing, you know, where they're going to be at. Guys like, you know, Trier, guys like uh, Wayne Ellington. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, gluttony happening happening in a lot of these um these 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 positions. So, um, what do you think of that right now? As far as how the free agent signings are concerned, and you know where pieces are going to fit, especially with these uh these marquee free agents that they brought in. Well, part of this is, is, is exacerbated by the fact that only only Randall can exhale. He's the only Nick with a two-year guarantee contract. Yeah, yeah. Everybody else is on a one-year. <laughs> so they've got to prove it, you know. And when you have young players, what you just alluded to can be a problem. Everybody's worried about playing time. Uh, if they're not, their agents are worried about it. If the agents aren't, their friends are worried about it. So it could cause dissension on the team. So that's going to be crucial for the coach to try to keep harmony between the players. You can't keep all of these guys happy, man. You can't play more than eight or nine players. So somebody is going to be this gruntle. Not everybody's going to be able to get into the game, but he has to try to find a way to keep the harmony there, keep their motivation up, and uh, try to get the best out of the players. Now, speaking of, uh, you spoke about Julius Randle being the only the only Nick with the knack to steal a, a phrase from you. Uh, he's got a two-year deal. He's making a lot of money. And a lot of people are looking at him to have an all-star type season, especially after the numbers he put up in uh, New Orleans for the Pelicans. What are some of the things that you've seen through him with the, with the preseason just wrapping up? Uh, the chemistry he's kind of built with R.J. Barrett as the lefties on the team. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on Julius Randle being the de facto leader of this new Knicks squad? I think he's in he's he's in engulfed that role. He wants to be the leader. He knows what's expected of him. So he's been talking to the other players, trying to instill confidence in them. I just read about Smith. Smith Jr. had a mediocre game when he returned, and, and Randall was the first guy there trying to cheer him up and tell him it's okay. It'll take you two or three games. You get back into it. Uh, if you saw the last game, he tried to be the hero. Down the stretch, he made three big threes, but uh, he had a few key turnovers, and then he missed that game-winning shot that would have won the game for the Knicks. So uh, he's relishing his role. He knows that he uh, he has mentioned that he wants to be an all-star and catapult the Knicks into the playoffs this season. So those are his two goals, and uh, I think he's working diligently to try to pull it off. Awesome, Clyde. Now, uh, one more question before we get you out of here. I want to thank you for your time so much. Uh we're just about to start the season, man. What is your best case scenario for the Knicks this year? And what's your worst case scenario for the Knicks? As far as like just looking at the roster, seeing what you've seen in the preseason, knowing what you've seen out of Coach Fisdale and a lot of these young players, where do you think the best case scenario is for this Knicks the way they're currently constructed? Uh, best case scenario, 35 games. But in order to do that, a tenacious defense, harmony on the offense, uh, Role-playing personified. We talked about their depth off the bench, so all of these guys have to step up the expectation, especially Randall. Just alluded to him. 
Uh, Robinson, what about Robinson? He's been getting a lot of kudos about his defense, his versatility. Can he stay out of foul woes? Porters, I like Porters. Another big dude, 6'11". A little more scoring than Robinson. Uh, not as tenacious on the defense, but I think between the two of them, they could be a dynamic duo at the center position. Uh, the worst-case scenario would be 29 games, which is what <laughs> most people are saying where the Knicks will be this season after winning only 17 games last season, uh, uh, worse for a franchise worse. So uh, those are the two swings that I see, the 35 games that they play a very aggressive D and, and harmony on the offense. If they do not, they could fall to around 20, 27 games, 29 games. Clyde, man, it's uh, it's the best time of the year right now. I'm looking forward to hearing you calling the games for the MSG Network. Uh, looking forward to checking out Clyde's wine and dines and picking up some Clyde Hardwoods, courtesy of Puma and all that stuff, man. Thank you so much for being on the first episode of Big Apple Buckets, brought to you by the New York Post, man. Thank you so much, and we'll we'll catch up soon. We'll catch up later in the season. How about it? Yeah, let me know, man. If dinner would be on me at Clyde's. I'll take oh, I'm holding you to that. <laughs> yeah. I have a good contact over there. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> hopefully you can introduce me to that guy. <laughs> Thank you so much, Clyde. Have a good one, boss. Okay, man. Take care. Yeah, and this has been Big Apple Buckets brought to you by the New York Post, man. It's a New York Knicks podcast hosted by your boy, Kazim Famiwide. Do the right thing, man. Hit subscribe. Tell a friend to tell a friend. If you're on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure you subscribe and tell a friend because this is the only podcast that will bring you the absolute best New York Knicks content anywhere. Anywhere. Because you get it from me. You get it from the New York Post. So do the thing. Follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Kazim, K-A-Z-E-E-M. And we will see you next Tuesday on Big Apple Buckets, brought to you by the New York Post.